0: And we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton here with you on Veteran Voices. Welcome to today's show. So we've got an outstanding episode teed up with a veteran and business leader that's doing big things in the global business world, especially in supply chain, more to come on that. So stay tuned for what promises to be an intriguing conversation. One we've been after to getting scheduled for quite some time. A hey, quick programming note before we get started. This program is part of Supply Chain Now family of programming. Um, and you can find Veteran Voices wherever you get your podcasts. But we're big, very thankful for our partners over at Vets2Industry.com. Vets2Industry.com. They're a wonderful nonprofit that are really working hard. To take care of our veterans, helping them and their, their spouses and their families make connections and find resources. So check out Vets2Industry.com. Okay, with no further ado, let's bring in our featured guest here today, Mr. Charles Walker, Vice President, Logistics Business Development at Aurora Global Solutions, and he's a U.S. Army veteran. Charles, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Scott. How you doing, man? Pleasure doing. to be on the show, man. Pleasure. <laughs>
0: Well, I appreciate that. We have been tracking each other for quite some time, and, and I, I I love your outlook on life and, and yeah. the expertise and, and your thought leadership you share across social media. And finally, we get a chance to sit down and learn more about your story. So I'm, I'm really excited
1: about that. I am too, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm excited to share it, you know, because everybody got a story. And I think that the more you share, the better we understand each other, and we'll see that we have more things in common than different, you know, That'd Excellent be... point,
0: excellent point. And we, and we need those bridges more than ever before. It seems like here in challenging Absolutely. years, like 2020 and, and now 2021, but there's always good news. And there's, a, there's a great story here. Looking forward to diving into that, but Charles, let's start with uh, the basics. Tell us about where you're from and, and, you know, talk to us a little bit about what it
1: was like to grow up where you lived. Absolutely, man. I'm actually uh, born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. So you know, just knowing about the South, you know, I've come from a family of thirteen. Uh, wow. My mom had seven boys and six girls. I was the baby boy, and I got one sister under me now. Uh, I lost my father when I was about six years old, and my mom was the, she was the core of the family. You know, she had rules set for us that we would all graduate, we would all we would all be up doing something productive in life. You know, and at the time, as a young person, you don't understand what she's trying to instill in you, you know, with education and everything like that. But as, a, as an adult, an older man, now I miss my mom and I give her all the credit for what she's done for all the kids. Wow, so
0: much there. So, so if you had to point to one thing that's core to how you do business, core to how you live your life, mm-hmm. um, core to how you, you you view
1: the world that you would attribute back to your mom, what would that be? It would be, it's simple you know, treat people like you wanna be treated, respect others, you know, she always taught us to say good morning, you know, when you when you out and you see the elderly people, you would, you know, and on the bus, we would have to get up if a lady was seated, she had those little core values, the things that we we sort of miss teaching our kids today. So we tried to give our kids everything we didn't have, we should have figured out how to give them what we did have. We had respect for others, we had respect for our elders, and we did things like that. So she just put those core values in me that, Went all the way through my adult years and all the way to the military. And it just solidified who I am today.
0: Well, we're going to talk more about your time uh, in the U.S. Army. So you grew up in Birmingham, is that right?
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
0: Um, gosh, a family of 13. You still have a bunch of family back in Birmingham, I assume.
1: Yeah, all, most of my brothers and sisters are in Birmingham. I have one brother in Killeen, Texas, that was a, a military retired veteran. And the rest of them are right in Birmingham, still to the day.
0: All right. Well, let's talk. You know, when I think of Birmingham and when I think of Alabama, just like, you know, me being from South Carolina, I think of food. I can't help it. Right. Uh, right barbecue.
1: Right. right. Barbecue. <laughs> <Old> what, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tell me before we, we talk more about uh, what made you join the military, when you think of food, whether it's family food or or food that is really special to you there in
1: Birmingham where you grew up, what, what stands out? What stands out is well, it's a place called Old Plantation Barbecue. It was about a good block from my house. And we would often go there as a family and and get that barbecue, just special barbecue. And Birmingham is known for it. And we was just in walking distance of it. And then my mother and grandmother, they were all great cooks, Southern cooks. My mom Mm. worked for a a Jewish family for like 34 years. It was a great lawyer in Birmingham, a prominent lawyer. Mm. And she cooked, she learned to cook Jewish food. She hosted all the bar mitzvahs. And so I got to learn a little bit about culture at a young age. And so, and I got all that from my mother. She taught all the boys how to cook and all the girls how to cook. So I still know how to cook today, you
0: know? I, lo- I love that. So one final question about your family, I, and, and I bet you could write books upon books, oh. stories, you name it. Uh, so out of all your brothers and sisters, was there one or two in particular that you were closest to? And, and what'd y'all do together?
1: Well, I got, I got one that I'm very close to. His name is Johnny Walker. And he's always been there as my pillow, the, uh, to, he can listen to me and he's always you know supported me on whatever I did I was the first one of, of the family to go to college so they were very proud of that and I knew it made my mom proud that I went to college you know and uh and so that that just that brother there and then I had another brother in Wilson Walker who's still alive today he went in the military went to Vietnam and came back and and I sort of didn't know I was going to go in the military then but after the uh, Grand Rutman Law, you know the uh, Pell Grant Act was closed out. My mom could no longer afford me going to college. So wow. my sophomore year, that's when I went into the military.
0: So you were a full-time college student, and then legislation changed. It sounds yep. like how how financial aid was was doled out, and and. Under
1: Ronald Reagan, yep, under Ronald Reagan, he stopped the Grand Rutman Act, and uh, the Pell Grant was cut for for the poor families because you were able to go to college. Under that Pell Grant, we would pay what most of your college just keep your grades up to like a B. And then when that was cut, the family, she was just a, a household keeper. She didn't have the funds to do that. So I realized that hey, I got to do something because I already started it. So I got to finish. And that's when I decided to go into the military. Great.
0: I hate to hear that. You know, that it, it's such a, you know, access to resources, access to education, access to higher education is so important wow. for all. From all walks of life. Well, the good news there, though, you, so that was one of the big things that prompted
1: you to join the U.S. Army, right? Absolutely. And, but and look- already, you know, unbeknownst to me, my mom had already put that drive in me to keep going no matter what. If you want to do something, you just got to keep getting up every day, thinking about it and putting action steps together. And I've been doing that my whole life, but not understanding where it came from. And then when I started looking back and doing some reflection, it came from her from an early age. Um, when she was teaching me that as a kid, you can do anything you want to do. You just got to want to do it bad enough, you know?
0: Well, and, and the good news here as well is you were able to circle back and earn degrees and advanced degrees through your journey. we'll, we'll probably touch on that here momentarily. So let's talk about your earliest days. You're going to basic and, and deciding what you are going to do in the Army.
1: Tell us more about that. Oh, man. Actually, I started off my journey in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Uh, I went to the in-process station was in Montgomery, Alabama. So when they took us off the basic train, it was in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. I never had really left the state of Alabama, mm. uh, except for going to Atlanta here and there, but to be away from home like that, and it was already snowy, cause I went in February of like 84. And I went into the logistics field because I was always interested in how, I used to always ask my mom, Why did, what do that truck have on it? Where's it going? She said, well, that's a distribution truck. It's going to a warehouse. They had raw materials on it. It goes to the warehouse and they get distributed out to the people. And that's how you get what you get. And I was always interested in that. And so when I scored on the arm exam, that came up. They said, well, we got a supply chain logistic person. You want to do that? I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Not knowing that it was already in me somewhere that I just couldn't recognize it at the time.
0: Love that. Wow. Uh, Little, little did they know, you know, what right. how that would play out with the rest of your career. All right. So Missouri. It sounds
1: like cold Missouri, snow on the ground, if I heard you right. Is that right? Delta 4-3, that was the company. And it was snowy. And I had a a big awakening, you know, with drill sergeants screaming at you all the time. And no matter what you do, it seemed like it wasn't good enough. They were just trying to get you ready for battle, you know, but not knowing that you went in on the college fund. But I had one drill sergeant told me, say, look, you might have came in on the college fund, but we're preparing you for war. Mm. And I think I had an open experience at that time. From uh, that drill sergeant Cooper, I'll never forget him because he singled me out. And I thought he was just singling me out for no reason, but he was—he was teaching me some some life lessons that I mm. appreciate. That, yeah, love that. So, where, where where was your first duty station? Tell us about at you know post-basic, post basic post kind of follow on training. Oh yeah, where was your first station? My first duty station was in AIT. I went to Fort uh, Lee, Virginia. That's what a logistic—that's the quartermaster school for for training up uh, supply technicians different quartermaster MOSs. I was a 92 Yankee. Back then it was a 76 Yankee, but they changed it over to 92 Yankee, which was supply technician, edition. And while I was there, they had some people from the Ranger Battalion come up and say, hey, we short supply people. We need some good supply guys. And all the instructors were saying that my handwriting was very neat. I stayed within the lines uh, and, and I put everything on the right cards, the right way. They said, you're going to be a good supply sergeant. And I kept hearing that. And then uh they said, but you got to raise your hand to go airborne. I'm like, I was afraid of heights, you know? Wow. When I went in, I was afraid. Of, I didn't like the riding thing at six flags. My mom took us. I stayed <laughs> back. And I got in and the drill sergeant said, hey, only thing you're fearing is yourself. You know, like, you can go to airborne school. I said, but I'm, I'm afraid of heights. He said, we'll walk you through it. It's called a, a program. It was called desensitization. He said, I'm going to take you out to the airfield. I'm going to let you watch the planes go up in the air. I'm going to let you just watch these things in your mind over and over again for like three days. Then I'm going to put you on the aircraft. I'm going to walk you through all the fear. And then eventually you're going have a parachute on your back. I was like, man, I was shaking, you know. But in hindsight, I made it through. After I left AIT, I went right to Fort Bennett to airborne basic training, basic airborne school. Graduated airborne school. And to do that, you only have to get six jumps. And I called my mom and she was so happy. She's like, I can't believe you. You was always afraid of heights as a kid. I said, I know, mom, but I'm not no more. You know, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm airborne. You know, and so when I went, they took me there. Well, they were short in special operations, so they took me to the third and 75th fifth ranger battalion. That was my first unit as an airborne uh, logistician. Where was that at? In Fort Benning, Georgia.
0: Okay, down in Columbus.
1: Yep, Columbus, Georgia.
0: That's not far from Birmingham, right?
1: Not at all. I was close to home, and I, I could drive on the weekend and go back home. And I, I loved it. And then uh, about six months there, the Task Force One Hundred and Sixty of Special Operations, they were short supply personnel with all their missions. And they said, hey, we're gonna select some guys from here to go there. And so I I volunteered, I said, well, I'll go to, it was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So I went there and continued my logistic training with with the greatest unit in the Army today, the Night Stalkers. And so I got to go on a lot of missions. I kept getting promoted fast. I'm like, what's going on here, you know? I went as a private, left there as a staff sergeant, you know, in a short period of time, about four years. And I'm like, man, these guys are high speed, you know? And I (laughs) got to work with some of the greatest guys in the world, man. And when I left there, I went to Alaska, Fort Wainwright, Alaska, back into the cold.
0: Oh, wow. And and I've never been to Alaska. I'm assuming you hadn't been to Alaska prior to being assigned there.
1: Never, Where? never, never had been to Alaska. Never thought I would be there. You know, I met some of the greatest Americans there, you know, worked with some great people, learned a lot about cold weather training. We had to go through artillery Light Infantry Training to stay out in the cold for a while, to just survive on your own, to keep yourself warm and learn so much, man. And then uh, just left there and I came back to Fort Bragg with special operations, 112 signal battalion, uh, Worked with them guys in special operation support command. We had a new command center there that supported a range of battalions, all this special operation group, seven group Delta force people. I was supplying all these people, all the, all the, the top supply guy for the special operation guys. The team guys, and I was like, everything they needed, I was always the go-to guy. And I kept saying, man, you write so neat. You do this so good, you know. I've always heard that.
0: So, so I got to ask you, clearly, because you don't have to be airborne to be an uh a 92 Yankee, I think you said, right? Yeah, you don't have to be airborne, no. But clearly seems like to me that that your drill sergeant or your, the, their, your instructors early on saw something in you and exactly. said, man, he's great as a logistician technician, but if he goes airborne too, man, he can do it all. Is he that, can do it is-
1: all. Right. And from there I went, not only from there, I went to aerosol school. Then they sent me to Pathfinder school. I was doing everything that those guys were doing, and I was supporting them on all the missions as well. Mm. So I became a part of the team as a, as a logistician so they say every mission they say we're going to take him he's going with us so i got to go on all these world missions with great guys 18 guys doing what they do and i was the one supplying everything they needed so i was a part of the team you know from from early on but i didn't know that it started from my drill sergeant who saw something in me he said you're gonna be good you're gonna be a good logistician man you're gonna be good i didn't realize it you know
0: well, all right, so I want to talk about some of these people you served with here in a moment, but I want to ask you a question kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah. Because when you think of a, of the supply folks in the military. They're the folks who can get their hands on things. And there's a, there's a, in that Green Berets movie with John Wayne, there's a, there's a great moment where they're, I can't remember exactly what it is, but you see the supply guy on top of a, a pallet that a helicopter is, is taking off. And he's like, you know, saluting cause he, he found a pallet of something they needed. In a forward yeah. fire base, and it, right. you got to tell me,
1: did you have any moments close like that? Plenty, plenty. <laughs> uh, you know, with, with the uh, special ops guys, you know, they'll come to me and say, "Hey, hey Chuck, we we need we need this and that. We're not authorized to have it because we have to we have to justify and have to match on to the mission. You know, something was MTO stuff that it was authorized for that unit only. Anything outside of it, you have to justify it in writing. I met a great NCO who taught me something." You say, look, you can get anything you want for them guys in the army. You just gotta justify it in paper. Take it to the colonel, let them sign it, and they'll they the department army give it to them because those guys are 18 guys, they gotta do the mission, and you gotta always attach it to you want them to get back home to their families. Hmm. And so I learned how to write. I learned how to write early on. So I started writing all these approval letters of how to get the guys what they needed. And it wasn't nothing they they needed that I couldn't get. And they started saying, wow, man, how did you do that? I said it's just in the writing. But I learned that from another NCO who had been doing it for quite a while.
0: Well, it sounds like, too, beyond being being able to write and, and, and kind of state your case and your position, it seems like you were kind of putting together business cases, too, which isn't a bad thing
1: either. Right. But not, you know, like I said, Scott, in our life, sometimes your life is being molded and shaped, but you're just not in awareness of it. But once you become into the awareness of it, that's when it all ties in. When you become aware of your purpose and what you're doing, You really become unstoppable in what you're trying to do. Of course, you're gonna meet some roadblocks along the way, but they're not gonna stop you. You know, you're not gonna stop and throw rocks at every barking dog. You know what I'm saying? Because you will never get there. You know, I think that's
0: a Winston Churchill quote, isn't it?
1: Right, right. (laughs) I love
0: that one. Um, because you you can't you can't give in to the noise, right? You gotta look for the signals. You've already kind of painted lots of pictures between my ears. I love kind of how some of the anecdotes you've already kind of shared. I, let's get some names though. Let's let's talk about some of the folks that either they worked for you or y'all worked together, or maybe maybe they work or, or you work for them. What Who are some of the special people that, that you served alongside in the army?
1: Man, it's so many, right? But it's three that I think come to mind that was very instrumental in me being who I am today and how I think. One lady name was Colonel Eugene, Eugenia Sneed. She was my female commander of of all male non-commissioned officers in airborne. And just her leadership style was inclusive. She she listened to the NCOs and she always told us we was the backbone of everything she do. She said, you open it, say anything to me constructively that's gonna help the unit to do what we need to do and to fit the organization structure or what the command wants, right? And so I listened to her, and I still talk to her to this day. There's another guy, CW3 Jerry Landgraf. He was he was my he was my boss in 160 Task Force. This man was a special man. I was a private, and he taught me how to do supply chain logistics the right way. Mm. You know, I would give him paperwork, and he would turn it back into me. He says, "Got a problem with it? You figure it out." And he would always tell me. I want you to be the best in what you do in this logistic thing you know because we need people that know what they're doing because we got real world missions and what you order in requisition got to be the right thing the first time mm. and i would go to him i say, i don't see the mistake he said you gotta look deeper find the mistake if i tell you the mistake it is one and then he explained to me why i need to put that code in there or whatever to get the right aircraft part or something that went to a little bird or something like that and so i respect this man too. he passed away and it broke my heart, but the things he taught me, I still do today. I always look at my paperwork when I'm requisitioning something. I'm always thinking about him when he said, do it right the first time.
0: Well, it sounds like his standard was measures above the actual standards of, right. which really, I mean, gosh, just in a little bit, you've already shared and what I know about you, Charles. Yeah. It seems like the standard you have for yourself,
1: y- right y- y'all got along great. Great, man. I'm talking about, you know, I went to, when I went to aerosol school I was going, he let me go. And he said, the first week we were doing repel, repel tying, tying the things down. And if you couldn't make the timeline, you, you get put back a week. And he came over to visit me. He said, you both graduate? But that's the way well, I got put back a week. So he said, well, you stay here till you get it. You stay in the school. If it take you a year. And at my graduation, he said, I knew you can do it. You just had to get, I see. said, you get out your own mind, you can do it. Mm. And then finally, my greatest commander, was a Brigadier General, Sean Mulholland. He was a general. And this guy, man, he used to come in my office and would tell me life lessons. You know, he didn't want to retire me and everything. He's no longer here with us, but he's here with me. You know, Mm. he would take out time. He was a town leader that you knew he genuinely cared about you. It wasn't fanfare, none of that. He'll know when your spirit was low, he'll just say, Charles, what's going on? I was like, sir, I got some things going on with the family. He said. Can you fix it? Then I said, yes, sir, I think I can. He said, well, let's work on that. He said, if it ain't life-threatening, it, you, ain't, you ain't harm nobody, we can work on it. And we are gonna put action steps together to get that done. And that was the guy that retired me, man. And I always think about those three people, man. I keep their name in my journal because they was very instrumental in who I am today, man. And I I thank them every day. And I knew it was my path to meet them, you know?
0: Mm. So before we talk about accomplishments, uh, I want to go back to Colonel Sneed. I think it was right. Colonel Sneed. Colonel Sneed. All right. So you shared something there. That was a key attribute for, uh, in terms of how she, and you mentioned inclusive leadership and
1: inclusive. Yeah. yeah,
0: Thankfully we're hearing more about it, even though many organizations and leaders are trying to act and execute on it. it, Right. But that's a a very hot topic now, which, which is good awareness. Hey, awareness of a challenge we got to get more awareness on it so we can do more about it. What If there's one aspect of her approach that made her a really successful,
1: uh, inclusive leader, give us an example of that. One example that she did, well, she listened first. In every one of her meetings, she would put out guidance, and she would go around the table to all the non-commissioned officers, and she would listen to each one of them. And at the end, she would put it all together and come up with the final plan based on all of our input. Because she said that without our input, she, she wouldn't be able to give the Colonel a real sound uh, advice on what we need to be doing. So I like her, she liked to listen first, and then she tried to get a sound understanding of what you was talking about. And then she would always include a non-commissioned officers. So I'm talking about fairly. And then she would bring you in her office one-on-one, and if she had to chew you out, she had no problem doing that, none, none. I'm saying she was just a good leader, and and what I really respected about her, she was. I was a jump master at the time, and she said, "You know what, uh, Sergeant, I got to go to jump master school." I said, "Ma'am, why you why you why you Colonel? You ain't, you, ain't, you you a, you a major now? You finna make Colonel? You don't need to go." She said, "No, because you guys are jump masters. So enough for me to lead y'all effectively. I need to know what what it takes to run that whole aircraft like you guys." And then on Friday nights when you guys jump, I need to be out there jumping with you. And wow. I thought that was amazing that she said that, and she did. She went through, and graduated. Wow,
0: that yeah. is impressive. Seems seems like a great person yeah. to work for and serve with. So no wonder yeah. that um, had such a big impact on your journey, Colonel Sneed. All right, so it's tough to do any of these interviews justice in you know 45 minutes 60 minutes what have you because there's so many stories that we can't ever get to and and so many great people as you've already mentioned that we we don't have time to get to i appreciate you sharing those three we probably won't be able to do your accomplishments justice either but if you look back on on your career uh in in the military in the u.s army what's one or two accomplishments that you know you'll be telling your family about your grandkids about your colleagues about
1: for the next 100 years i think i'll be telling them to just, you can do more. Your body can do more than you think it can do. You just got to, you know, get with the right right mindset of people or your surrounding. We used to go on eight-mile road marches and are like, man, we can't do this. Or we'll call cadence. And when you're calling cadence, you don't realize how far you're running. Right. So it takes your mind off what the task at hand. And you can really endure more than you think you can. You can push your body more if you don't have the fear of it. You know, it's just a lot of time you doubt yourself and you have fear. And then it's like me being afraid of heights. Now I'm I'm not afraid of heights. I never was, it was just all in my head. It was just something that I thought was fearful, but I had some noncommissioned officers that helped me through that, walked me through it and said, hey, it's just fear you create. You're making a monster bigger than he is. It's not really a monster. You're just making it, it's in your head. And I think I always tell my kids that, and I'll be telling my grandkids the same thing, to just keep pushing yourself till you can get to where you want to be, do what you want to do and have what you want to have. You can, but you just got to want it, want it bad enough. And I think the military is a good way to show that. And with the camaraderie, you get to, you get to learn about people from every walks of life. My first roommate was a guy from Maine. He said, yeah. Charles, you know, I've never even been around a black guy, man. He said, I'm from Maine, man. He said, <laughs> and he said, we started calling you the salt and pepper, you know, for years. <laughs> You know, because he, he said, man, it's nothing like I thought, man, I'm your roommate. We was like brothers, man. And he would have never met me if he went for the military. All right,
0: Beautiful and thing. So I,
1: think, I think things like that is inclusive and you all got a mission. You gotta, you got a, a mission that's bigger than yourself. I think you should make things bigger than just you. You know, when you go outside of yourself, don't be selfish, but make the mission bigger than you, you can do it. Mm. But when you just focus on yourself only, it's kind of harder.
0: So you mentioned earlier seems like reflection is you value that and and you seems like you've you know walked back through and figure out those lessons learned those key people that you you've worked with key right. key lessons you learned from those folks but you also what I'm taking a big note of is just that this transparency and this authenticity Charles that you bring to the table have you has, have you always been like that or did this come after a period of reflection as well
1: I think I think I've always been that way but as I got older and started doing, you know, being in leadership positions, it just came, I became aware of it. I think that wherever your, you know, awareness goes, your energy goes. Like when your awareness goes somewhere, your energy flows to that. And so I had to get an understanding of, of everybody. Everybody got something to say. Everybody got a story, man. You got to listen to people to understand where they come from. Cause we always, we come from different places. We got different belief systems, different understanding of each other, but Underneath the core of it, we all human beings and we all want the best thing for our families, our friends, and we want to live good. Everybody wants that. They can deny it or whatever, but it's true. You know, and so when I learned that, I just start listening to people more than I talk to them. I just listen and then I get a better understanding of where they're coming from. So I learned to listen, even in leadership roles now, around the table. I pick up some things from crunch Snee. I pick up some things from General from uh from General Sean Mahulan. It's land grab. I just keep all those things they taught me and I let it build my character who I am now. And it works well with people that I work with today. I don't really have all the challenges I see on, on the news, which I don't really look at. I look at like shows like this. I look at YouTube and I get some positive in my head early in the morning every day without fail. I go to something positive. I give thanks first. So, Lord, thank you for waking me up. And then I see anything that happened today, you and I can do it together. Mm. And then I motivate myself early in the morning. And so now whatever I face, it's not going to be that difficult. It's no. not, you know, but if I just go up there nilly dilly with no awareness, I'm going to run into some problems up, up front.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk about your transition. I think if there's anything that, you know, since I got out in 02 and, and have been networking with my fellow veterans, combat veterans, for sure. I'm, I'm not a combat veteran. And and even sadly to this day, so mm-hmm. many folks are still struggling with that transition. Now the good news out there that we talk a lot about is corporate America has really put more put more action behind helping, right? They've put budget dollars aside that, that to hire veterans very intentionally, veteran spouses, military spouses, and and put some programs there. But still, we've got a long way to go. We do where we, we do. really eliminate a lot of these common and unique transitional challenges. So tell us about your transition and and tell us. You know, was it harder than you thought? Or was it easier? Tell us about your transition.
1: I think my transition, what I did, and I tell any veteran now, and I did it well, I took six months before I retired. I knew I wanted to retire. My colonel, Sean Mulholland, he didn't want me to retire. I said, man, you're going to make something, You're going to do this. And I said, sir. I said, I've been on E7 for 10 years. I made E8. I've been in all these positions. I've done everything. I said, my brother told me when he left Vietnam, he said, you're going to know when it's time for you to leave. And in that day, I just said, you know what? I just went and I up it's Time for me to go. He said, How do you know that? I said my brother told me and I feel it, I feel it. And but what I did, I started transitioning back then. It was ACAP. You could go and learn how to do your resume. You learn they, they taught you how to transition. I tell any veteran, take advantage of all those services that are available for you. Don't be hard-headed and don't listen and take those those interview um challenges, those questions, those mock interviews. Sit in there and do that because you have more leadership skills than you know about that you can transition to the corporate world. You're just not aware of it. When you've been in the military, you learn about S1, two, three, four, five, 6, all the way up to nine. You learn how to do paperwork in S1. You learn about S2, security clearances and all this stuff. S3, operations. You know about logistics. Everything you got from the supply room, you had to sign for it, right? You had to go in right on the hand receipt and account for that property. You know about that. You know about computer systems. So just take all these things and take it to the civilian sector and use your leadership skills to to transaction in. Now it's kind of difficult because you do something over 20 years, you get kind of straight-minded focus on on how to get things done. I think we have to back up a little bit because the corporate world is a little different than the military. No, we have a mission, we know what we gotta do and we just, we see the hill, we take the hill, you see? So in the corporate world, you gotta just sit back, observe how they do things, do an observation and then just listen to how they do it and then plant your leadership skills into what they're doing. Just all your strengths, give them that. Don't worry about your weaknesses. You guys capitalize on your strengths and then see how your strength fit into their mission and vision statement of that organization. And you're going to do good. You're going to do good, automatic.
0: But going back to, you know, earlier what you're talking about, really taking advantage of the resources that are there, not being hard headed
1: and right. assuming
0: you have all the answers. But really, I mean, going back again, for me, hearing you walk us through this, it takes me back to your, your self-awareness, how important that is. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, your strengths, but you also know, you know, your your blind spots and and, and your weaknesses for that matter. And it seems like it really was critical for your transitional journey, being honest with yourself about that. And, and again, taking advantage of all those resources
1: that are there. Exactly. And then, you know, and, and it's even better for them now because we got, we got shows like what you're doing now. You just can't be afraid. You already been a leader in the military. You stand out in front of formations every day. You got to talk to your troops every day. You brief them every day. You got to brief generals, man. You just treat that CEO in the company like a general. Say, hey, sir, this is what we got going on. They just know what you're talking about. Study. And like I say, show yourself a And then like be aware that, hey, you know, that you, you have the skills. You just got to be able to plant those skills into that organization where it benefit what they're doing right now. You know, don't worry about what you used to do and how it used to be done. Just get into their program, understand their vision and mission statement. And the only way you do that, go to their website and read up on their organization. Read up on them before you've interviewed. Find out what they do. I do it all the time because I find out what do the VA buy, who they buy from, what they buy for. And then I say, okay, how can I shape what we do around that? And that's how we get to try to win the contracts.
0: Love it. One of the things I'm picking up here is you got to be confident in yourself, right? Confident. You got to, you got to stay, always stay Learning, right? Constantly learning. But really right. be confident in what you've done in the military and, and what you know and and put it to use for yourself. Uh, both in in your transition and then of course on the other side. What else would you there's one or two other things. If you're if you're speaking right now, folks may be listening to this that are about the transition, maybe they're already transitioning, maybe they're early in their career on yeah. the private sector side and, and they're trying to figure out how to you know progress as quickly as possible. Any other tips or, you know, a couple tips you want, you want to share with us folks?
1: One of the best tips I can tell anybody, study and read and follow the people that's doing what you want to do. Just study them. They got so many YouTube videos on people that you, you admire. You know, they got videos out there. Just study them. They're already doing what you want to do. They had to, they had to take steps to do that. When they put the information out there, write it down. Write it down. And once you write something down, it becomes personable to you. See, once you write it down, you are making a commitment to yourself where you're saying, OK, I'm committing to myself because I'm taking the time to write it down. And then your subconscious mind gonna automatically pick that up because when you write something down, it becomes personal to you. But follow those people who are doing the things you want to do in life. Not nobody else. You know, just look at the great guys, Andrew Carnegie, you know, all these guys, Napoleon here, read those books. They're free online now. Information is everywhere. You just got to focus on what you want to do, man. You ain't got to go buy nothing. It's free, man. Information is free, man.
0: It really is remarkable. You can get degrees these days at MIT and at, at the prestigious universities, no yeah. cost. It really is amazing times we live in. All right. So before we transition, Charles, to what you do now, I want to circle back on education, because where we started this close to the beginning, where we started this journey is due to legislation in mm-hmm. in the mid 1980s it forced you to withdraw from college and, mm-hmm. and hate to hear that. But again, the good news here is beyond the army, you are able to revisit those higher education plays. So tell us what Absolutely. degrees did you earn?
1: Man, I, man, I've got in the military and I went into this uh, educational program where they take out a hundred dollars a month out of your check. And then you can go to school while you're in at night, but you have to be disciplined because you still got to, you know, you work all day, but you got to go to school at night. And what I did at Fayetteville state university I said, okay, I'm gonna just take a step to finish up my degree because I promised my mom I would finish my degree. So I went and got my associates and I was like, proud. I said, oh, I got a degree. I got my associates. You're first in the family uh, to to earn. Yeah. First in the family. Then I went, I stayed at Fayetteville State. I said, okay, she said, now with a few more credits, you can get a bachelor's. And then she said, that's just another 14 months, Charles, if you could push it. I said, I can because I knew I'd be at Fort Bragg a little longer in special operations. And then if we deploy, they would still send me my, my work to do online. And I said, okay, so I went into psychology and I always wanted to study the mind. And I, I wanted to know how it works. How do my mind operate? And that's when I went and got my psychology degree. And then I said, okay, now what I'm gonna do now? <laughs> now I know all this stuff about the mind and how it works. What can I do? And then I jumped over into supply chain cause that was my core thing I wanted to do. I always wanted supply chain so I jumped over and got me a master's in a uh, business administration, you know, with, with government nonprofits. And I said, okay, then I got obsessed with education. I went back and I got a global supply chain MBA. Then I went and got an MPA. I just kept going until all my 9-11 money ran out. And I was wow. still trying to go again, you know, because I just liked learning and, and getting degrees. It was not about getting degrees, but I promised my mother I would finish. You know, and to this day, I just tied it all together with global supply chain management, psychology, business administration, masters. And I tie it all in on how I teach people today. And I share that information with whoever I'm working with. Tell them how to do it. Use your uh, GI Bill to get what you need. Don't let the money just sit out there. When it's available, you work for that. Go ahead and go to school. I don't care if you take underwater basket weaving. It don't matter to me. Just get a degree, man.
0: Invest in yourself is what I'm hearing. Right, right?
1: invest in yourself, self development. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, a lot of folks, a lot of lesser folks, would have taken that bad news and and never yeah. would have gone back. Right, it, it would have, it would have impacted them for the rest of their life. Exactly. You and I probably know some, some folks just just like that. But that's a great story. As we as we start to move into what you're doing now, that's a lot of good news there. And I yeah. love I love how you you not only followed through what you promised your mom, but you really seriously invested in yourself and you, and you chased your passion, which clearly is learning. And uh, i tell you, I, I'm not sure what all you can do. Let me rephrase. I wish I had a psychology degree to get through business life. So I know exactly what, you know, how the other person across the table is processing what I'm saying. I bet that's a secret weapon, Charles, for you.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And it's coming back to, like I said, awareness, you know, you got to be aware of that that person got a mind, too. They're they using their mind to their, to, the, to their benefit based on their learning. And so you got to use your mind, your own mind, based on what you've learned to attract okay. what you want. You know, you got to attract what you want. You can't. A lot of people like, I'm working for the money. No, you're not. You are, you are attracting what you are. And once I learned that, I listened to great people like Andrew Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, some of the old guys. Earl Nightingale, I read all I got every book in my office in there and I read it religiously every day, man. And it, it's true. Wow, and the they're saying it's true, man. And these books are free online, you can download them, just you gotta read. And you say, These guys were great, these guys became great people, you know. Norman Vincent Peale, you if you don't have a book for Norman Vincent Peale, you already missing out on a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> you just do it. To- you know.
0: I'm gonna have to go back and, and write down each of these names. Uh, yep, it's like man. I'm being challenged. I appreciate that, Charles. Yeah. I need to I need to bone back up on my reading. That's a um, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about what you're doing now. Right before we we went live on the interview here, you were telling me about some of the really cool things and and different ways that you're playing a part in the Noble mission, right? The fight against COVID 19. So tell us, you know, tell us about Aurora Global Solutions, your role and what you're doing.
1: Man, you know, it, it it all ties in, Scott, because it's a it's a veteran female-owned small business. And uh she actually started it about 12 years ago. I knew her in Afghanistan. I, I've been knowing her for years, and I was already working with different organizations. I worked with people like with, with SAIC, the program manager with Raytheon, Stanley Associates, some of the big companies, RGTS, where we had the L-15 program, sending uh F-15 parts to Saudi Arabia. I was the program manager for that. And so all my logistic training came in, and and I got with her when I left the last company when I was doing quality assurance of all the parts coming in. I said, "Hey, what if we partner? You know, I come in and bring my my um, my knowledge and experience, and my my um, all the people I know in special ops who always support what I do. I got a lot of people that support what I do from my military experience. So I use those people to leverage. You know, they're going to vouch for my knowledge, experience, and I I go with her to to get bids in for VA, when they, we look at the requirements, we go to beta.sams.gov and we look for these requirements out there. And then we try to shape our, our, our request for quotes. We, we shape our, our task order to make sure that we can, be, we can bid on these things. But another thing we do is we get partnership with manufacturing companies because we might not have the funds to buy all these things, but the manufacturing company, uh, we go on their strength, they'll help us. By getting the contract, then they're going to supply the goods. And then we, it's, it's a it's a win-win situation. You know, so we create partnership agreement with companies and we merge all our strengths together. You know, like we might be weak in a back office support, but they might have back office support for the contract. Right. And, and then everybody wins. And I think more small business need to do that. Uh, that's what we do. But right now we're ramping up with all the PPE because that's the hot thing going. Sure. We were ordering, we was ordering different classes of supplies. that's all I ever done in my whole military career. But since PPE is what's going to keep you afloat right now, because I think the mask and the face shields, and all this stuff not going nowhere for a long time. Hand sanitizer. We Alarmous. get all that. Gloves, everything. We get all that right now. And sometimes we we when Kobe first hit, we be sitting around the table, it's like, hey, business dying down. We got to find. I said, let's find some creative ways. What about we donate some of the excess supplies we already ordered that we can't sell? And give it to the fire departments, the police departments around here in our local community, and then put our business card in there. So whenever they do need these again, when they do get funding, they're gonna remember us, and mm. that's that helped us because we know when you think you run out of options in every in every disappointment, there's an opportunity. You know, you just gotta find it, man. You know, and then you helping you helping the first responders too. Improvise, improvise, improvise adapt, and overcome. That's right. You know the deal, the airborne weight. <laughs> <laughs> well, what
0: I also hear you're saying is you know, is building these very practical, successful alliances. Right. right. And finding the need to market and figuring out a way, you know, how, how can you, you how can you leverage these alliances and what your strengths and what you have in, in spades, so to speak, to address right. that that opportunity to market and and, yep, and I can merge, while helping I can
1: merge others. together. People always say, let's create synergy. What do you mean? Let's, you know, let's let's look at all your strengths, and then forget the weaknesses. Because when we look at our strength, the weakness is going to be overshadowed, and then you're going to be able to put all all your stuff together, man. And then you work as a united front because we can do more together than apart. Really, if you're a small business, you can't compete with a with a medium sized or large business. You just can't. Mm-hmm. So you got to try to get under they create a mentorship program with them somewhere you can learn how did they stay afloat through COVID ask questions and then do the same thing just model their model that's it that's it man it ain't rocket science man
0: <laughs> well i'll tell you all of your experience and 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 skill sets I, I truly believe you could get your hands on anything that your customers need and when they need it at the price they need and and and, and get it there reliably uh same time. Just in time. That's right. A-I-T. Yep. So <laughs> let's, uh, I know we couldn't get all the many stories that you could tell. When did you, by the way, let me circle way back. When did you retire from the U S army?
1: We didn't talk it was, about that. Exactly. Uh, 2005. I went in in 84 and, uh, and I, man, I was, and I missed it. I missed, I still, I, I live army every day in my mind because that's who I am. And when I did get out the first month, the transition was difficult for me because I was missing everybody. I was missing being in charge. I was missing. And I actually called the recruiter, man. And he said, listen, you probably just having a moment. He said, but if you call me tomorrow, I'm going to put you back in boots. I said, he said, but I'm thinking something will happen good for you, man. And believe it or not, the very next morning, I got a call from Stanley Associate to work at a job in Lumberton, North Carolina, doing a warehouse uh, to erect a new warehouse. Okay. And I was, you know, so I know that the fear set in when you get out of the military because you're saying, okay, what am I going to do now? Because you're used to getting two checks a month. Right. Now when you retire, you get one. And all those airborne, all those amenities, airborne, has to do, all that pay is gone now. You know, and so you say, uh oh, I I didn't save enough money like I thought. I can't take care of my family like I wanted to. Now I got to get something, a second job to offset this so I can get back to where I was making. You know, so we got to humble yourself. That you might not go in as that first sergeant in a new job. You might have to humble yourself and take another job that would compensate the money you missing, and then build your value up. And when you build your value up, your money gonna go up, man. Because you got to show your value to the organization first. Right. That's all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. Well,
0: I really appreciate that perspective. We hear a lot as we it's talk fair. about transition with with different folks, whether they serve one term or they, they spend a career. In okay. one of the arms, arm services, about how they are really, especially those that that go back in you, to to some degree, officer or enlisted, you're you're starting back over and you got to kind of reprove yourself. And then the other thing that we hear a lot about, that's unfortunate, but stigmas are being broken every day. Is so many so many non-veteran hiring managers have certain assumptions about veterans, combat veterans or or, or right. non-combat veterans, and we've got. We've got some more education and awareness to do to, to break through those. But nevertheless, I love your disposition. I, I yep. love your view on life, Charles. I hate that we waited this long, and, and I'll take all the blame because we, we, we had a couple of misfires, but more people need to hear. Yes, sir. I think your appreciation for life and, and your your passion for continuous uh, continuous learning and your sheer unbridled optimism. I mean, yes, that sir. that's where you've made my day here today.
1: And I, and like a, hey, you made my day and I appreciate you so much because without you, this wouldn't have happened, you see? So everything in time, I said, you know, at the right time, you're going to attract the right people. You don't have to chase nobody, but the right time going to show up. And look, I'm talking to Scott right now, don't lie. You know what I'm saying? So I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. You well, see?
0: Charles, that, that means, means a lot to me this series is, is so fulfilling and rewarding to to connect with fellow veterans and, and kind of hear their experiences. And and, and again, know we're just scratching service with yours. Let's make sure. So, so now that probably our community and our audience knows the secret weapon that is Charles Walker and, and all the things that he can do, PPE and, and, and shared logistics and supply chain. Uh, let's make sure folks that want to connect with you, compare
1: notes and maybe even collaborate with you. How can they get in touch with you? Yes, sir. You uh, can go to AGS. Well, as a matter of fact, it's www.ags-georgia.com is our is our website. And my email is charles at ags.georgia.com. And I'm on LinkedIn all the time because I got a, a family on there that I love and we I learn so much from them. They don't even realize how much I'm learning from them, you know, and it's like a free Ph.D., you mm-hmm. know, because... Those guys are smart on LinkedIn. I tell people, I, I talk to people all the time. I say, are you on LinkedIn? No. I said, you're missing out. Really? You got some people on there that's sharing some, some good knowledge, man. And, and and it's a wealth of knowledge that is on out every day. You just got to connect with the right people. And if you stay solid and strong in your message, um, they're going to link in with you. And then they're going to do one with me and you doing right now, Scott. is communicating in an open forum right now. That's right. And so That's a blessing right there. And Huge I appreciate blessing. it. Yes, sir.
0: I do, too. Uh, and and again, we appreciate Charles Walker, VP Logistics, Business Development at Aurora Global Solutions and a U.S. Army combat veteran. Really appreciate your time here, Charles. They're born all day <laughs> and follow him Airborne. connect with him on LinkedIn. I can tell you, uh, having consumed uh, his posts and content and lessons on leadership and, and a lot more, you're going to miss out. Uh, so connect with Charles on LinkedIn. We'll make sure those links are in the show notes. I um, really appreciate your time, Charles. Hey, to our audience, hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. On behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices, hey, we invite you to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. I hear you can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and even Instagram. Charles, I'm still trying to break the code on Instagram, and Lord have mercy, I haven't even—I don't know what to do with TikTok. So I'm
1: gonna keep I on. Man, I just, I'm a LinkedIn guy, man. So I'm gonna master that, and then I'll, I'll do the rest later. There we go. But I hey. got some good people on LinkedIn. I'm good.
0: <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this and you're a veteran with a story to tell, hey, reach out to our team. We'll try to fit you in our production and editorial calendar. Your voice is really important. And uh, hopefully we'd love to have a conversation just like Charles and I have had here today. Again, thanks for your time. Scott Luton. here signing off for Veteran Voices. We'll challenge you, our listener, like we challenge anyone else. Hey, do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed a be like charles walker and on that note we'll see you next time here on veteran voices thanks everybody